Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Our next guest is Zayuan Fu.、Uh, he's an engineering student at McGill University who happens to dabble in finance here and there.、Um, in fact, uh, uh, Zay, why don't you give us、um, an introduction that's more befitting of your position? I wouldn't really say I have a any a position to speak of.、Um, I, I'm an engineering student at McGill University. I study computer engineering. Um, one of my hobbies is, as you mentioned, finance.、Uh, when I was little, I got into finance by reading the finance section of Bloomberg Business Week, which is pretty interesting. I, I like the tech.、Uh, yeah, I like the tech section too. But tech and finance were the were the two、uh, sections that I loved reading the most. And then, little through little,、uh, as I got through high school, as I got through CJEP, I learned more, a bit more here and there,、uh, including in Vitaly Tarakov's Intro to Finance course. That was really fun. And now I'm here today to talk to you about stocks、uh, and things related to stocks. Yeah, well, I guess you answer my question. How did you get into stocks? So you just went into it reading Bloomberg Finance, and that's well, it. Um, I wouldn't say stocks per se. Uh, from um Bloomberg Business Week, it's more about just the, how the finance world works in general. Um, I have to say that I learned about stocks in Mr. Tarakov's wonderful finance course, and then that got me like more interested into the into the domain. And then I went off and did some more research on my own. And、uh, yeah, that's、uh, that's what brought me here today. Okay, then for someone as me, I'm also interested in stocks, but I really don't know much about it.、Um, and I'm sure like a lot of students listening to this are also very interested in in making money, of course. So. <laughs> Uh, can you describe like your learning experience of how did you go about the learning process of learning about stocks,、um, the various major concepts? Can you explain、uh, a bit on that? Well, uh, first, uh, th- this is my personal experience. Your mileage will obviously vary.、Uh, firstly, I, I went on the internet and looked up like li- literally what、um, well, literally what the core concepts are. So, like, what is a, a stock? What a, what is a share? Uh, how are companies traded? Where where are they traded? Well, yeah, where are they traded? Then after that, I got interested into the、uh, various derivatives of stocks, such as um, options, um, bonds, things like that. And then I did my own research on on to the, each of these uh subjects. Sometimes going into Wikipedia rabbit holes; those are fun. And、um, as for the other more complicated concepts, I often go on to educational sites such as Reddit. Well, I don't know if Reddit can really be called an educational site, but yeah, there's a lot of、uh, knowledge on Reddit and sites like these, and also on YouTube too. There's a lot of channels that、um, talk about stocks. And then、uh, there's also the,、uh, exp- the the part about experience. You have to have you have to experience the market for、um, for yourself to actually learn more about it, because there's only so much you can know. By reading、uh, some articles on the internet, you have to actually get in there and get your hands dirty. Okay, well,、um, then this is outside of our planned questions. But may I ask, how did you start actually investing? What did what did you do to get past the barrier of、um, being afraid to, for example, invest in some company and lose money? And where did you find this capital in the first place? Oh, um, this this is quite, this is quite funny. So, um, a friend of mine actually, I heard that a friend of mine, um, you probably know him, um, he took um his Trudo bucks, as people like to call it, his four thousand something dollars from uh from the CESB, I think it was called. Then he yellowed it onto Tesla in like March, and then he turned that four thousand dollars into twelve thousand dollars, and that's what got me really, really like interested, like because I saw he turned he th- tripled his money in a couple months. And I wanted to do that too, so 
that got me into yeah that got me into investing and i, I did pretty much the same thing as in my a yellow I, I wouldn't say yellowed but i put my um government money into the market as well i see okay that that's quite nice i guess the government giving us money so we can make more money like capitalism yeah um, <laughs> yeah Well, uh, so then let's go on to the major concepts uh, in stocks. So what are stocks and what are bonds and what are options? So what are all those, what does all those terms mean? Because for me, it means nothing, basically. All right. So let's start with stocks. Let's say that I have a nice, large apple pie here. It's a really, it's a really, uh, it's a really nice apple pie. It smells great. So I, I really want to eat it. So then now I cut this apple pie into four parts. I give you one and I keep the rest of the, um, And I, and I keep the three other parts for myself. Basically, I I split the pie into four, and then uh, I I distributed the pie between you and me. Uh, so that's that's essentially how stocks work uh, in the market. You cut a company up into thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands, millions, billions of parts. Then you distribute them into the market, and uh, people who want the company will buy these shares, as we call them, and uh, they're going they're going to own a part of the company. Okay, and how does stocks vary in prices? So, for example, there are one million shares. So, how does how do you determine, for example, the price of a share will go up or will go down, or what are the factors that might influence the price of a share? All right. So, remember our our uh, apple pie from the previous example. It's made of apple pies, made obviously made of apples, right? Then now, let's say that an apple pie costs ten dollars at the at the store. I have no idea if that's actually a realistic price. I'm just Putting a number out here, and let's say that uh, tomorrow, uh, scientists discover that apples will grant you immortality, so you can live forever. Now, obviously, people like to live long、uh, times, so they're going to buy anything that's related to apples, including apples, apple juice, and apple pie. Now, we have a a, a nice, a really delicious apple pie here. It was worth ten dollars, but now since people want more of of apple-related things because it gives you immortality. The price of it is going to go up according to the basic laws of supply and demand. So now the、uh, the price of our apple pie, instead of being ten dollars, it could、uh, go to let's say five hundred dollars. And now, what is one fourth of ten dollars?、Uh, if you could do some basic、uh, high school math for me, please. It's two point five dollars. Two dollars fifty. And what is one fourth of five hundred dollars? One twenty-five. One hundred and twenty-five dollars.、Yeah. That's very correct. So now the piece of apple pie that I gave you, gave to you earlier earlier was worth two dollars fifty. Now it's worth one hundred and twenty-five dollars because、uh, people like apples a lot more. And that is essentially how stocks work. The thing here is,、um, instead of the pie, you have the company as a whole.、And、instead of apples, you will apples is also the company. So basically,、uh, in short, when people think that a, a company is going to do well at like sell lots of products, make lots of money, then they're Their valuation of the company is going to go up, and if they think that the company is worth less than it is, it is worth more than it is, it is worth, worth currently, then they're going to buy the、uh, company's shares, and that's exactly how it works with our apple pie analogy. Okay, understood. So it's basically the the law of demand and supply. Exactly. If if,、okay. if there's a lot of demand, if the, if there's a lot of sudden demand actually for um a company, then the price is going to go up because lots of people are going to buy it for a relatively constant supply. Understood, and I have to warn you, Zay.、Uh, don't pull too much math question on me, because even though I'm in math and finance, I don't want to embarrass myself. I got you. I got you. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, no problem.、Um, anyway, so you talk about stocks, but what are bonds? So what are the difference between stocks and bonds? Alrighty. So、um, if we if we were to actually continue with our、uh, little apple analogy here, let's say that 
the day after the um, scientists discover that apples make you immortal, the company um, who actually makes these apple pies are, go are going to um, want to ramp up production, right? Because um, there's a lot of demand for apple pies, and there's, there's a lot of money to be made there. So they're going to uh, want to build a new factory to be able to make more apple pies, to be able to make more money, and the cycle continues. But then, what do what do you need to uh, to uh, to make a large investment like building a factory? If you could uh, take a guess, money. Now, uh, let's say that the our apple pie company doesn't have a lot of money. So what's what it's what is it going to do? It is going to raise money. So if the apple pie company is going to take a take a couple of pieces of paper and they're going to write in five years, I will give you um, five thousand dollars, and every year I will give you ten percent of five thousand dollars. Then they're going to sell these pieces of paper to uh, to people for five thousand dollars, and those are called bonds. So what essentially it is, it's an IOU uh, for a uh, for a repayment in a future date with interest payments every, um, usually it's every year, but the periods can vary. And then at the end, when the bond expires, uh, let's say after five years, which is which is one of the uh, expiry dates that you find out there in the wild, then the issuer of the bond is going to repay the um, the original loan that the um, investor made into their company. Okay, understood. Then is bound a surefire way to make money if you just hold it? Oh, uh, well, it depends on your risk tolerance, actually. For someone who does who doesn't really like risk, then bonds can be, yes, a sure fire money of making money only if and only if the coupon rate on the bond is higher than the inflation rate if it's lower than the inflation rate then you're actually going to be losing money but that's going to be a um that's it's going to be a talk pick for another day so but usually yes bonds are a surefire way of like putting your money somewhere and putting it to work okay understood um then let's move on to options and the calls and the puts because i'm really confused by options in general like mm -hmm. i don't understand it can you explain that of course uh, let's start with calls because calls and puts are kind of like two uh, sides of like two sides of the coin. Now let's say that um, how, how about we take Tesla as a, as an example because Tesla is like a really popular company. People like to buy it. People like to uh, talk about it. So right now, actually, actually, let's say that Tesla's um, let me look up uh, Tesla's price actually just to uh, to give some sense of accuracy. Six hundred and seventy-seven dollars USD. So let's say that um, I believe that Tesla is going to go up from $677 to $1,000 in the next month. So then I'm going, to, um, I'm going to buy a call. I'm going to buy a call option for Tesla, let's say with a strike price of $800 and an expiry of next month. So what this call option does is it grants me the right to purchase one share of Tesla for the strike price, which was $800, I believe on or before the expiry which is next month and you pay a premium for this option and puts are kind of puts work uh, kind of the opposite way if i believe that tesla is going to go down from 677 dollars to let's say 500 dollars, then i'm going to buy a put for anywhere between 500 and 600 dollars and that the put gives me the right but not the obligation to sell my uh, to sell a share of tesla for the amount of the um, which is the strike price on or before the expiry date so okay. basically, calls and puts are derivatives that allow you to bet on the direction, but not necessarily the price of the underlying security. Okay, I understood. So if I understood correctly, if you buy a call, you have to pay a premium, but yes. you get... Okay, so... And then um, after a certain time, after your... Uh, in the Between your period, period, you can buy the uh, the stock at a price that at the strike price that you have set yes yes uh, that's going to be called exercising the call or the put okay so from and any time between the um the, the time you purchase the option and the expiry date you have the right to purchase for a call or sell for a put one unit of the underlying stock for the strike price 
Okay, but if you believe a stock will go up in price, why don't you just buy the stock now instead of buying a call? Oh, there are actually uh, several reasons for this. Let's uh, continue with our previous example with Tesla at $677. So I, I, I'm a prophet. I can tell the future, and I know that Tesla is going to go up to $1,000 next week for whatever reason. So to um, take advantage of this information, then I'm going to buy a call option for Tesla. Let's say that I buy a call option for next month with a strike price of $800 for um, $20. Uh, can you uh, keep track of these uh, numbers for me? I, I promise this, you know, there's not going to be any complicated math. I just need you to remember these numbers for me. Okay, so $820. Okay, $800 of the strike price, and I paid $20 for the option. Okay, and let's say that, um, yeah, let's say that Tesla actually goes up to $1,000 because, as you know, I can tell the future. So the funny thing about calls and puts is actually, let's take a call, for example. If the stock price is above the strike price, then the value of the call is going to be the approximately the stock price minus the strike price plus a little time premium. So the 800 call that I bought for $20, now it's going to be worth $200 because the stock price is at $1,000 and 1,000 minus 800 equals 200. So my option is now worth $200. And do you remember how much I bought the call for? 20. 20. And can you tell me uh, how much of a profit did I make? 180. $180, which is nine times my original investment. Now, let's say that I had bought shares instead of calls. Then I would have made, let's see, 1,000 minus 677. I only would have made $323 of profit on $677 of capital which represents a return of 50% over the 900% that the call option ha has given me. Okay, so when you buy a call, you don't actually have to pay for the full stock. You actually just... No, uh, you... of course not. Of course not. You can sell the okay. call option to someone else who will exercise it. Okay, understood. Uh, then after options, this leads us to shorting. What, what is shorting exactly? All right. So you know the expression buy low, sell high that some people uh, sometimes tell people to use uh, in the stock market? Yes. So, for example, you buy a stock for a low price and you sell it for a high price, right? Yeah. But then the opposite uh, works as well. You sell the stock for a high price and then you buy the stock for a lower price and then you stay and you still make money. It's just uh, in a different order from buy low, sell high. So, uh, when you believe that a company will go down, you're going to short the stock, which is uh, what I've described uh, right just now. Let's go with another example. Uh, let's go with Tesla again, because who doesn't like Tesla? So let's say that Tesla's price is $677, and I believe that it's going to go down to $400 because um, because I, I know the future. I know that it's going to go down in, in the next week. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to call up my broker. I'm going to tell him, yo, can you, um, can you short one share of Tesla for me? Then my broker is going to tell me, yeah, sure. And then what he's going to do, my, uh, my broker is going to, um, uh, the broker is going to borrow a share of Tesla from someone and then sell it for me onto the open market, and I, which credits me with $677. Now, uh, let's say that next week the price drops to $400 because I know the future. And then I call up my broker again and I tell him, yo, can you cover my short Tesla position for me, please? And what my broker is going to do is because I've sold a stock, a, a stock that I don't own, my broker is going to buy back the uh, so the same stock to return my balance of the stock to zero. So I don't have any more. Um, so I, I don't have any more uh, outstanding uh, requirements. So then, because Tesla's price is four hundred dollars, and I just bought back the stock, then I'll have paid four hundred dollars to uh, to recover my position. But now remember, I sold the share for six hundred seventy-seven dollars. But then I only, but then I, but then I bought it for only four hundred dollars, which represents a profit of two hundred and seventy-seven dollars. 
Okay, so if I understood correctly, you borrow a share and then you sell it, and、mm-hmm. then you buy back the share and return it at a lower price, and you make a profit that way. That is absolutely correct. Okay, understood. Then let's move on to、uh, the next term before we move on to the more juicy stuff, which is GameStop. What is naked shorting, and、uh, who are the market makers? Uh, let's start with naked shorting. So remember how when I、uh, shorted a share of Tesla, my broker had to borrow a share from somebody, right? Yep. But here, if, for example, if there's no shares of Tesla to borrow, then、uh, then if I really want to short the stock, I can engage in what's called naked shorting, which is selling a share without borrowing it first. So basically, you're creating an an imaginary share out of thin air, then you're putting it onto the market. Uh, aside from that, everything else about shorting is the same. You still have to cover the imaginary share you created. You still, and you're subject to all of the、uh, other restrictions as regular shorting. Okay, then is that the only difference? Is there like a higher risk to naked shorting, or? Well, of course, there's going there's going to be a higher risk、um, creating a share a share out of thin air because,、um, and as we'll see with、uh, as we'll see with GameStop later, but. Um, aside from the higher risk,、uh, the higher inherent risk, there's not a lot of other differences. Okay, but I guess with higher risk, it has higher return or the same as. Yes, because、um, actually shorting、uh, is used when,、uh, as I said, when you believe that the company is going to go down in stock price, right? So then, if you really think that a company is going to fail, but then there's not enough shares to borrow, and there's not enough shares to borrow, then you can engage in naked shorting to、um, to actually maximize your profit. But keep in mind that naked shorting is actually illegal. That's the other difference I forgot to mention. Regular shorting is legal, but naked shorting is illegal, except for the the market makers actually, which I'll go into next. Then, who are the market makers? The market makers. Um, this one's、um, a bit complicated to understand, but the market makers are actually the people who provide liquidity in the market. Markets. So, for example, remember when I talked about calls and puts, right? I bought a call if I think a stock is going to go up. I buy a put if I think a stock is going to go down. But have you th- ever thought of who sells you these calls and puts? That's going to be the market makers. So the market makers、uh, insure liquidity in the derivatives markets. They sometimes the insured、uh, liquidity in the stock market itself. So, th- so they're they're basically the big guys running the show behind the in the background. Okay. So are they your brokers or are they someone behind the curtains? They're they're like really really in the background. They're providing liquidity to the entire market and not to any single entity. Okay, but if I understood correctly, if they have to manage the liquidity of the market, are they working for the companies themselves who issue their shares, or they're more、uh, they're they're actually more kind of working for themselves. Because um the um they profit off of off of managing the market and ensuring liquidity. Okay, well then before we finally move on to GameStop, let's go on to Reddit, our favorite website. Of course. Yes.、Yeah, so, what is the involvement of Reddit communities in finance? For example,、uh, what is Reddit Wall Street Bets? So slash r slash Wall Street Bets is a subreddit, aka a subforum of Reddit, where um people discuss um stock trades. They discuss stocks. They post memes about stocks. And、um, Wall Street Bets is actually very known for、um, its reputation as a community of very,、um, let's say, high risk tolerance people who will who will throw their money into trades that carry a lot of risk, and then they're either going to make a lot of money on it and they're going to flex the money that they made, or they're going to lose all of their money and they're going to flex the money that they lost. Okay, so no shame. No, absolutely zero shame. You go big or you go home.、Uh, okay, well that's a good mentality to have, I guess. Then what is、uh, the role of subreddit? Wall Street bets in creating meme stocks.、Uh, first of all, actually, what is meme stocks? So meme stocks are things like Tesla, GameStop, Palantir Technologies, Neo Technologies. I don't know if you heard them before, but meme stocks are are essentially stocks that a lot of people talk about and a lot of people like to buy. 
And then um, they're, they're, they're basically stocks without have like cults around. For example, GameStop, which we'll talk about a bit afterwards, is uh, the meme stock trending right now. And then other stocks that, that people generally like are can also be considered meme stocks. Okay, then uh, what is the role of uh, Wall Street Bats in creating meme stocks? Well, um, I wouldn't say that Wall Street Bets has exactly a role in creating meme stocks, but the users on there, they, they'll often get together and then if they like a stock, they'll designate it, or uh, I say designate, they don't really do it officially. But when lots of people like a stock, then it kind of becomes a meme stock and then people make memes about it. People write analysis on the stocks and why it's going to go up and uh, things like that. Okay, well... Um, before we uh, let our uh, listeners jump into Wall Street Bets to make money, are there any disclaimers about this subreddit? If you don't like risk, don't go there. Don't no, only go there if you're if you're not very risk averse. Let's say. Okay, understood. And um, before we move on to GameStop, uh, are the analysts um, on Wall Street Bets uh, accurate or are they reliable? Well, saying that an analyst. Any kind of analyst is reliable isn't really would be really accurate because n- no one can actually tell where the stock market is going to move. Like I can I can flip a coin and guess whether a stock is going to go up or down tomorrow, and then I can have fifty percent chance of getting it right. But usually, in in some cases, the analysts uh, in air quotes on Wall Street bets can be right because they actually spend time doing research on the companies. They spend time looking at uh, possible future events and stuff like that. And sometimes it turns out that yes, they are right, which is what is uh, what happened with GameStop. Okay, understood. Then let's move on to GameStop. Oh, so first of all, actually, before some people might not know GameStop, so can you explain a bit what GameStop is? So, um, if you know EB Games, that's basically GameStop in Canada. But for those who also don't know EB Games, it's like um a, a physical brick and mortar store, kind of like Walmart, where you can go where they only sell video games and video game consoles and things related to games and consoles. Yeah. So I heard before uh, GameStop went crazy. I heard that uh, GameStop was having some financial trouble. So was that correct? That was correct because um, as you know, when you only have brick and mortar stores. Uh, it relies on on traffic inside the stores to generate profit, and as you know, COVID nineteen uh, hit us really hard back uh, last March, and because people had to stay home, uh, they couldn't go out to to buy stuff, including video games. So then, um, GameStop's re- GameStop's revenue kind of really plunged because no one was buying things in their stores anymore, and that's what kind of caused the um, financial troubles you might have heard about uh, the company a bit back. And when did GameStop craze start? Well, if you mean the uh, the surge in price, that's going to be uh, that's going to be um, back in this January. But if you mean the whole origin of the of the entire story, then that's got to be at least um, a year or two. I think it was two years ago um, that it started. So a user on slash slash Wall Street Bets uh, who goes by the initials DFV. I'm not going to say his name because it's um, it contains a uh, a swear word. So a user that goes by the initials DFV posted a an analysis on the company and how and about um, and about how it's uh, undervalued, and as well as a screenshot of fifty thousand dollars in call positions for the company. Then people started noticing the um, the user's post, and then people started to talk about it. And then that 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 kind of just um, happened from two years ago to around uh, January of this year, where um, the, where the stock price kind of stayed stableish. And then back in January this year, so a major catalyst for the uh, for the company happened, which was Ryan Cohen joining the board. Then more people started noticing about the company, more people started buying the stock, and then the hype kind of just snowballed until the price surge that happened in January to uh, February. 
So coming back to the call option two years ago, so how did that call when can how did that call last two years and how did that user gather so much traction within those two years? Well, as you know, calls aren't um, call options. I think I forgot to mention this. Sorry, but uh, call options aren't necessarily for the short term. You can buy calls for in one year, two years, up to three or four years into the future. I think, and that's what the user did. He bought calls for um this year and a bit for last year, which expired worthless. But um, yeah, if you're wondering about the value of those、uh, calls, actually, I think um the calls plus the shares he had were worth around forty seven million dollars at the peak of the price at the peak of the the stock price. Oh, so, Jesus.、Um, Yeah, that's yeah. that's a really large sum of money. Well, perfect. Then I will read、uh, you a quote from the article、uh, from an article on Wired, written by、uh, Cecilia Anastasios. Sorry for masquing his name.、Um, so, as GameStop floundered, some analysts suggested short selling the stock to profit off the price going down. Investors borrowed shares of GME and then sold them in the hope that once they bought this、uh, stock back, they'd make money off the difference. So. What company follow this short selling advice? So that that、uh, what you just read is actually a um a, a very nice concise TLDR of short selling, and there's、uh, there's a lot of companies that actually followed this. I think um the main one that、uh, I know and people on slash or slash Wall Street bets know is、uh, Melvin Capital Management, and、um, they're the they're the like the the main、uh, antagonist, let's say in the in this whole、uh, story. So the short sold a lot, and by a lot I mean a lot of、uh, GameStop shares, and then、um, yeah, and, and then instead of buying back their positions when the stock was low, they kept greeting, and then、um, everything blew up as the as the price increased. So,、uh, can you go more a bit more in depth into、uh, Citron Research and Andrew Left? Oh, Citron Research isn't actually a major player in the story. It's um. So Citron Research is basically just one guy.、Uh, Andrew left the the guy you named.、Uh, what he likes to do is he likes to look into companies and then publish reports about how they're、um, how, how they're bad and how their、uh, the the price of their stock is going to go down. I, I think he attacked GameStop at some point when it was at thirty five dollars, saying, and I quote, "Best stock back to twenty dollars fast." And then,、um, as you can as you know, the stock didn't go back to twenty dollars, and I think he I think he was forgotten after that. So, three、uh, co-founders joined GameStop, and what was the reaction of the analysts when they、uh, saw the co-founder of Chewy join GameStop? I don't think actually that the analysts had any major reactions because most of the reaction was on the part of、uh, communities like Slash or Slash Wall Street Bets. Because as much as、um, Ryan Cohen may seem like a prodigy,、uh, after all, he he brought Chewy from. From、uh, I forgot how much it was worth before he got in, but then he he sold it for a for a, a large sum of money. But the the main thing that analysts um had to、uh, had to remember is that GameStop is physically is in its core a brick and mortar store、uh, chain. It's not like some online sales、uh, platform. It's mainly focused on brick and mortar stores. And as we、um, uh, progress into the future, brick and mortar stores are slowly dying. And that was their reasoning that um. That Ryan Cohen, unless he managed to change the company fundamentally,、uh, that the GameStop would not、um, become any more profitable than it is today. Okay, then what was the street on Wall Street bet? You talk about analysts being sort of indifferent to Chewy and co-founders joining GameStop, but、uh, what was the reaction of the people? Let's say. The people on Slash R Slash Wall Street bets were actually very,、uh, very hyped because,、um, as you know, Ryan Cohen brought Chewy from nothing to really, really big, 
And so everyone on the forum thought that he would do the same thing with GameStop. And so everyone got really excited about it. And then people started to, because of that, people started to pay more attention to the stock. Then it, it, um, that, that helped with the snowball effect of the price going up. I guess when people on Wall Street Beth bought into the stock, I guess they attracted other people from outside the subreddit to buy into it as well. Exactly, exactly. Um, so actually, during the GameStop craze, I think the, if I remember correctly, the number the number of subscribers to Slasher slash Wall Street Bets climbed from around a million to six million in under a week. I see. Uh, then what happened when Wall Street Bets bought those stocks? Uh, for example, we heard a lot of talk about on the news about like this war between the big guys in Wall Street and retail investors, basically small investors like you and me. Mm -hmm. So what was this conflict all about? So this conflict was basically the um, the big uh, the big guys, aka hedge funds, who wanted uh, to keep the price low to um, to actually not to just not go bankrupt, and the small guys who uh, saw this as the opportunity for uh, as the opportunity for wealth distribution of a lifetime. Okay, so they small guys want to make money, and big guys doesn't want to lose money. Exactly. Okay, makes sense. Um, a quote from Reddit now, and what is your thought? Um, this is proof of our strategy. Buy shares, be the shorts, F the institutions, hold the line. What do you think of that um, quote? So basically, this is, prob- this is pretty much the entire sentiment behind the, um, behind the war. So um, uh, I'll, I'll, go back on, I'll, I'll go back on shorting for a bit, actually. So, do you, so remember how when you short, you have to borrow the share and then sell it? first yeah so if you so if you do that then you're assuming that the price is going to go down but if you sell it uh, right now and the price goes back and the price goes up then you're going to be actually losing money because you have to buy the share back for more than what you sold it for and then you're going to be in the red so okay. what the what the what the institutions did is they shorted GameStop at a low price uh, from like five dollars to around ten to fifteen to twenty dollars and then when the price started going up they started losing money and well because they don't like losing money they started and they tried to keep the price low which um and people on on and people everywhere including on Wall Street bets noticed and then that became like and that became the seed of the um of the war as you call it between the small guys like us and the Wall Street hedge funds. Okay, so how did they keep the price low? How did, they, or at least, how did they try to keep the price low? Well, there's a there's a lot of uh, methods, some of which um, are purely speculative. But the uh, the main method is to is to um, short more shares. When you sell something, when you sell a large quantity of something, the um, the price goes down for a uh, for a constant demand. And if you apply the, and that applies to the start to the stock market as well. If you flood the market with shares, then the price is going to go down, and then um, yeah. So what uh, some of the hedge funds did in response to the increasing uh, share price is they shorted more stocks, they sold more stocks on the market to keep the price down to kind of uh, try to save their ass, let's say. Okay, understood. Um, And then I heard this brought us to some regulations and some brokers were actually forbidden from selling any more GameStop shares. So uh, what was the reaction of the masses and what was the reaction of the big guys and what was the reaction from you? Oh, the um, the reaction from the masses reaction would be kind of an understatement because everyone started to get mad for the, for the lack of a better word. Because when the when the share when the stock was um had was restricted in trading, people could not buy the stock; people could only sell the stock. Well, and so what that did is you're basically cutting off the demand for the stock, and that combined with the uh, big guys flooding the market with shares, that pushed the stock price really, 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 really down. And then the big guys, I wouldn't say that they had any reaction. It's because um because they benefit from it. Well, if if they showed a reaction, I don't think it would it would benefit them in any way. 
but um, okay. they didn't really have a reaction. Most of the reaction was from the small guys like you and me. Okay, understood. And uh, was uh, were these regulations done in the to protect the big guys? We don't really know because um, because this process isn't isn't exactly transparent. So basically, what happens is the as the people who manage the liquidity behind the markets, they told the brokers that the they had to shut down, and then um, because of collateral requirements, I can uh, which which I can um, explain another day. And so the brokers they have no choice but to listen to the people who manage the the stock market behind the scenes. Yeah. Okay, understood. Uh, then a quote from Bloomberg Wealth, written by Benjamin Staples. Uh, the hunt for heavily shorted stocks is being led by the Reddit forum Wall Street Bets, which boasts roughly 2.8 million members. Some of the more outspoken have taken an activist stance, portraying their campaign as taking a stand against such social pro- societal problems as financial inequ- inequality and generational injustice. And a quote from a Marianopolis World Review uh, letter to the editor, uh, based off a Reddit post written by user Sauron, with his permission to post, of course. Um, Melvin Capital, you send for. Everything that I hated during the time, referring back to the 2008-09 housing market recession, uh, you are a firm who makes money off exploiting a company and manipulating markets and the media to your advantage. So what do you think of these sentiments and what do you, uh, these sentiments reflect? So remember back in, two, do you remember, uh, back in 2008 what happened with the market and the economy and everything else? Oh, well, I was young, but I do remember. Uh, could you uh, explain what you remember, actually? Uh, I think the housing market was uh, the banks loaned money unresponsibly to in risky loans, basically, to people who had no financial basis to pay them back. And then at certain points, people realized and they start to uh, share the uh, houses that they bought and they started going bankrupt. And uh, I believe the banks panicked and they stopped borrowing and lending money, which caused more people to sell their houses and go bankrupt. And I think that's what happened, basically. That's that's a pretty good uh, summary of what happened. So basically, um, the big guys, um, the the big guys, the banks were making money loaning, uh, loaning money to people who shouldn't take loans. Then they were making more and more money as they made more and more loans. And then after the housing bubble popped, uh, people who owned houses found them um, often found that their houses were worth less than the mortgage that they owed. Then after that uh, came the big recession because of the housing bubble pop, and people started to lose their jobs, people started to lose their homes, people started to lose everything. All, all while the big banks. Um, Kept making more money, and then they didn't. And then they didn't really get punished after the fact. That, that's kind of what. That's kind of what's happening here. In essence, the the big guys are are, are trying to make money off of the stock market, off the backs of the little guys. Uh, and then after we, after the little guys, we've realized this. We're uh, trying to take a stand against the uh, big guys uh, who are who are um, essentially who are essentially gaming the mother market for their own benefit. Or we're trying to take back what's ours, uh, in a sense. Okay, so it's really about sort of almost democratic participation in the market against sort of institutional control. Yeah, democratic is what I was looking for because right now uh, the state of the market is that um, is that uh, as the little guys we think that the market is free, but um, but, but 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 the really big guys have their hands in, in really in really every corner of the market. So everything we do, the big guys can uh, can make money off of it. And uh, that's that's kind of the paradigm that the little guys are trying to um, are trying to change. Let's say. Um, coming back to the financial institutions uh, in twenty eight, who let's say burst the housing bubble. Um, I I do remember the Lehman Brothers going bankrupt. Is it, was uh, was that a thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the Lehman Brothers. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I guess the financial institutions got up with like little regulations after the fact, but just some of them went bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Okay. Understood. 
So why would financial institutions do this? So I guess they would just—they're just in it to make money. Exactly. So you know how you go to the bank when you wanna when you wanna borrow some money for let's say a, a new car. You go to the bank and then you tell them, "Yo, I want five thousand dollars for a new car." Then they tell you, "Sure, uh, we'll give you five thousand uh, dollars. You can repay it in two years with a ten percent interest." So the interest on the loan is how they make money, right? Uh, without the interest, they don't make money, and so that's kind of the same thing with homeowners. Where uh, when you're taking out a mortgage, the, the bank is essentially fronting you the uh, the several hundred thousand dollars that you need to uh, that you need to buy the home, and then they make the money off of the interest that you pay to them um, during your mortgage. And so okay. then when and so then when housing prices started to go up back in the the, the mid to late two thousands, um, banks the, the banks uh, the, the banks got um, the banks really got more demand for their funds because everyone wanted to buy houses. And because housing prices were high, um, the interest that they made um, as a percentage of the price were um, kept increasing. And so the banks had a lot more incentive to make these loans to people who um, to people who both should and should not take these loans. And so they, 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 went, they went ahead and made these loans anyways to essentially make money. So I guess there's no really devil's advocate's case for them besides they're there to make money. Like there's none. There is absolutely zero devil's advocate's case. Advocate's uh, case for it. Um, then after GameStop, uh, what's what comes after GameStop? So for example, how long can GameStop sustain its current price? I think uh, in some articles I read, uh, some people say this increase in stock price will allow GameStop to gain uh, a huge amount of capital, which will allow it to revamp its company. So do you think GameStop will actually sustain its current stock price by rebuilding their company, or do you think it will plunge and go back down? I couldn't really tell you for certain whether GameStop is going to um, either go up, down, or stay flat. But what I can tell you is that um, what you read online is correct. Um, they, ha- they actually have a plan to uh, issue more shares at market price to raise money for their business. And the higher their stock price is, then the less shares they'll need to sell to finance their stock their stock sale. And then um, the, the less shares they sell, the less they're going to dilute their po- uh, their pool of outstanding shares. So the higher the share price is, the better it is for GameStop, actually, because they get to raise money without um, issuing a lot of shares. Yeah, so it, so it is in their best interests to keep their stock price high. As for the future outlooks on the price, I really cannot say. I, Contrary to the examples I gave you earlier, I can't tell the future. Only time will tell. Like As you said, no analyst can really say a stock will go down or up after like tomorrow. We can flip a coin. Or I remember in, the, in a book I read, uh, Monkey Can Throw a Dart at the at the wall and determine whether the, the stock will go up or down. And anyway, coming back to GameStop. So what's after GameStop? What are some other uh, meme stock that are pretty hot right now? Let's say, for example, BlackBerry, AMC, GME. So um, during the um, during the first part of GameStop's uh, meteoric rise to the skies, uh, the people on Wall Street bets actually started promoting other stocks like the ones you mentioned, AMC, which is a theater chain in the United States, BlackBerry, which I think we all know is a, is a now defunct uh, phone manufacturer, which has since branched out into networking and, and things like that. But now it's kind of died back down. And then I think that they'll continue trading uh, in sympathy with uh, GameStop. So if GameStop goes up, a, c- a company meme stocks are also going to go up. But um, as for GameStop, I can't really tell you uh, what's going to happen in the future for these companies. But um, they'll, they'll all have their own catalysts and their own um, their own defining events, let's say. And uh, what are institutional investors doing to prevent another GameStop? Well, first of all, they can, can stop overshorting companies. 
So what happened with GameStop actually is um, companies like Melvin Capital, they shorted a very, a very large quantity of GameStop shares like a, in the double digits of the public float. So to prevent uh, something like that from happening, so first of all, institutions can stop, sh- uh, they're going to stop shorting uh, companies in that magnitude. They're only going to short like, let's say a bit at a time. After that, um, what, th- what they can also do is they're going to try to hide their short positions because the uh, one of the main reasons that the uh, that the whole GameStop saga started is because uh, some people on, on uh, Slasher slash Wall Street bets they went on to Melvin Capital's uh, 13F filings. It was uh, their filings that uh, that companies have to make to disclose their positions. Then they found out that the company had a very large short position in GameStop, and so they um, they made it public. Then people started noticing it. Then people started buying the stock, and uh, and the rest is history. Uh, coming back to our institutional investors, what they're going, what they're probably trying to do now is they're they're going to try to either take smaller short positions, or if they take short positions, they're going to try to conceal these short positions through um, um, nebulous means, so so that the public does not find out about these short positions and does and doesn't um, act on it. But that would be illegal, right? It wouldn't be necessarily illegal because there are ways to. Um, to avoid uh, public disclosure of your positions, I just don't really know them, but I know that they exist. Okay, understood. Uh, actually, uh, before we went into GameStop, we for- totally forgot to mention what is a short squeeze. Oh, a sh- so a short squeeze, yes, yes. So, um, basically, when you when you have someone who shorted a large quantity of shares and people start buying these shares, and then because and and because you shorted a large quantity of these shares and the price is going up, you're going to want to buy them back to cut your losses, right? But then, as per the uh, as per the law of supply of demand, for an increase in demand, for a constant supply, the price is going to go up. And so, basically, the more you try to cover your positions, the more shares you buy back, the higher the stock uh, the, the the stock price is going to go. Then this just becomes a vicious cycle where, um, in the beginning, the stock price is kind of is kind of lowish. Then after you're done buying the um all the shares back, this uh, the stock price is going to be really 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 high because you bought because you bought back so many shares that um it affected the entire the the entire uh, market. Yeah. Okay. Um. And finally, I guess some big picture questions. So. I know you wrote an excellent article about finance on MWR, which I read. Um, more specifically about meme stocks and options trading, but uh, some have criticized you for promoting high-risk trading among young, uh, impressionable teenagers who might not know what they're getting into. Uh, so what do you have to say to your critics? Uh, so one of the uh, pieces of advice I like to give, I think I think I saw it from um, from uh, someone notable, I just forgot who, is you take a couple hundred dollars that you can afford to uh, lose, and then you throw it onto the market. Then after you lose that couple hundred dollars, then uh, you'll have learned a lesson to never play on the market again. Okay, and that's so, a good way to learn, I guess. And then uh, if you don't lose it, if you make money off of that, then I guess you'll you'll um, either you got lucky or you found something that you're that you're really good at. Okay, understood. And before we conclude, can you explain a little bit about gamification in trading software? For example, I heard, uh, I think it was Robinhood who was accused of using gamification in their trading software. That, that is correct. Robinhood is the um, is the broker, which is a pretty much defined gamification trading software. So what they did is they took their brokerage app and then they made it look like a, like an app that young people can use. Like they, they made everything really simple. They dumbed down all of the um, specifics of the market just to make sure that everyone, like whether you're educated in stocks or not, can use their app and invest in whatever they want. And so they did this to get to get more clientele because um, the easier it is to do something will the more people are going to do it. But uh, coming back to the question of uh, democratization, I know this is not in our planned questions. 
Do you think Robinhood's gamification or simplification of trading software is an act of making the market more democratic, or do you think it's actually hurting the market? It definitely did make the market more democratic because it allowed a lot of people who otherwise would not have uh, participated in the, mar- in the market to start trading stocks. Um, yeah, that's that's one that's one of the points of Robinhood that I like because it it makes just it just makes stock trading so accessible that oh, that even the average Joe can put a couple hundred dollars into the market and make some money off of it. But I guess there's a, a sort of risk comes with the oversimplification of the market. There definitely is because because since everything is kind of dumbed down, then you're not really fully aware of the risk that you, that you're incurring when you put money into the into the market. Because if you go on their app then and you and you kind of take a look at it, it's a lot less like um, actually buying shares of a company than playing a video game where you buy shares of a company. Like everything's like has bright pastel colors, and then everything is cheerful, and then. And then it just really looks like a game. It looks like a, a mobile game, uh, hence the word gamification. Yeah, okay, understood. So I guess users beware. Well, yeah. Users beware. But, but, but it's a really good way to like kind of get into, get into the market because um, it's easy to use and it, allows, and it gives you kind of like hands-on experience on the market that as, a, that, as I said, is really important to understanding it. So I guess just if you're using it, great, because it's a great tool to start off, but just be aware of, of the risk and not the fully, not being able to fully comprehend the, what you're getting into. So and do, the, do your do research. Yeah, do your research. So I guess now we can finish and just talk about some questions for you personally. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is your next uh, stop after computer engineering at McGill? Are you planning a, doing an MBA or do you plan a career in finance? I actually don't know, but I guess I'll go wherever life takes me. Okay, makes sense. Uh, then I guess some fun questions. I think New York Times did this with Elon Musk or something. Uh, anyway, so first question: What is your favorite brand of ramen? I uh, personally, I like Shin Ramen the most. You know those, those um those red packs of ramen that you get in Asian uh, supermarkets that oh, come in the okay. plastic bag. But then there's also this uh, tomato ramen, this tomato flavored ramen that I uh, like a lot because it's just really good. Like it sounds, okay. it might sound weird, but it's actually really good. Mm, I see. Yeah, because I I remember eating that tomato flavored ramen in China. Yeah. How'd you like it? No, no, it was pretty good. Like tomato in, in soup stuff is just pretty good. Um, and I guess favorite video games. Favorite video game? Wow. Um. Well, it's it's going to um. I wouldn't say I really have a favorite, but I think one of the ones that I personally like the most is called FTL Faster Than Light because it's it's like a, it's a really fun roguelike uh, spaceship simulation where where you're a rebel in a in a spaceship fighting against the large federation that wants to that wants to take over the the galaxy. And then it's you, you get something different uh, every time because it's a roguelike game. You um well, when you die it's permadeath, so you have to restart all over again. And I. I'm I think it's one of the, it's one of my favorite games from uh, my childhood. If you if you've never heard of it, go look it up. If you've heard of it, then uh, congratulations, you're playing a really great game. I haven't heard of it, but I will look it up then. Then I guess favorite book. Favorite book: The Three Body Problem. Mm, you told me about that. Yeah. So besides sci-fi, then. Besides sci-fi, oh, this is a tough one. I only really I only really read sci-fi. Um. Nor usually, uh, usually I would uh, I would give you a, a cheeky answer, something like my calculus textbook, but that's really not true. Um, I guess it'll have to be it'll have it'll have to be Riordan books, like say things like Percy Jackson, things like um, things like the um, yeah, just just Riordan books in general, like Percy Jackson, The Olympians. That's a series I really liked when I was little. Okay, I see. Well, I guess that's it for us. No more questions. I 
listeners, I hope you have enjoyed and learned a lot of, about stocks. Oh, actually, before we finish, uh, Zay, do you have some uh, resources you recommend for learning more about stocks and how do you get into stocks? Resources uh, for stocks, I, re- I recommend Investopedia. That's the uh, probably the number one site that you can go on. The URL is investopedia.com. It's like a, it's like a Wikipedia, um, but for, for investors, yeah. for investors, where you can learn all about uh, all about stocks, all about derivatives, all about how the market works, and uh, a lot more things. It's really, really useful. Okay, so I guess, guys, if you want to start off in stock trading, go on Investopedia. And besides that, I guess that's it for us. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for having Thank you everyone for tuning in to listen. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we did during the interview. If you liked this episode, learned something, or just want to help out a bunch of students, please leave a review, write a comment, and share this on social media. If you are listening to this on YouTube, please subscribe and write to us in the comments. All the books and other resources recommended by the interviewee are in the podcast description slash video description depending on your platform. And depending on when you see this, you might be able to use our affiliate link to purchase them. The Marianopolis Addendum podcast is actively seeking local sponsors here in Montreal. So if you are interested, please contact us at the email linked in the description. All the profit generated by this podcast will go back to fund our club's activity. If we have any surplus, they will be donated at the end of every month to a local charity. This episode was edited by Camilla Huang. And the artwork is done by Camilla Huang. The producers and guests associated with this episode may express their opinion, but this podcast does not support any political parties. We only aim to bring different perspectives on different issues through the free exchange of opinions and ideas. We look forward to seeing you at our next broadcast. Cheers!